Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. Hey, I'm so glad you guys are here joining us. We are in a series, uh, in case you didn't know, called Worthy. Uh, by the way, uh, small kids uh, who are not in junior high, high school, you're dismissed. You can go to your classrooms if that's what you're waiting for. Uh, by the way, you're, you're welcome to do that. But we're in this series called Worthy. Worthy, giving God our best, bringing God our best. And so far, I see a theme. You want to know what the theme is? You guys want to know what the theme is? Yes, I'll take the mild mumblings and grumblings that you want to know the theme is. It's God using what we bring to him and, and turning it into something so much more. Bringing what, whatever we bring to him, he tends to turn it into something so much more. Whether our best in a season seems small or maybe even meager, he turns it into something more. Or when we bring really our whole life as an offering, as a gift back to God, he turns it into something so much more. He'll take it. He'll use it. Today, like Judith said, we're in Luke 7. This whole study of worthy is a, is a study in a gospel book of Luke. And we're in chapter 7, so you can turn there now. Join me in verse 36. We're jumping right in to what I think is one of the most colorful, amazing, radical, transformative passages that we have that tracks Jesus and the people that he met and who met him. Okay, so here we are in verse 36. It says, Now one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. Then when a woman of that town, who was a sinner, interesting qualifier, isn't it? Um, God forbid that one of us is described that way as we're introduced. Learned that Jesus was dining at the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfumed oil. Okay, so the scene is set. We have, we have this dinner moment, and I want you to picture it. Again, it's helpful to kind of get there. In this dinner setting, picture it more of like a quasi-covered outdoor deck or patio experience. It's definitely visible to the public, and, and as we find out, this woman who is an unwelcome guest uh, is able to access the dinner party. There's Jesus, maybe a couple of his followers, his disciples, and of course there's this guy Simon, who's a Pharisee the so-called uh, Jewish SEAL Team 6, okay? A highly elite Jew, and maybe some of his crew. They'd all be laying down. That's how they ate back in the first century in this part of the world. They laid down with their feet sticking out backwards, maybe crutched on one elbow, a free hand to grab some food. And I've had some time to think about it. This woman who enters the room, a sinner, maybe even a prostitute, I think she was following Jesus. I mean, like following his career. That's what we often say. He was kind of tracking with Jesus up to this point in his career. And she sees her moment and she's striking. She's going in. So this morning, by the way, the big idea could have started there. The big idea is that when the world tells you that you're doing it wrong, you may just be more right than ever. When the world says you're doing it wrong, you've got it wrong in God's kingdom, in the Jesus way, you might be more right than you ever have been in your life. That's what the story of this woman in the alabaster jar speaks to me, is that what all that she did seemed wrong and backwards, and Jesus blessed it and said, she's got it just right. When you think it's all wrong, it may be just right. And yet I want to take us on a journey. Remember, it's bringing God our best. 
So what is the worthy gift? It must be the jar, isn't it? I mean, that's kind of like the title, the header of verse 36 is, is, the, is the woman in the alabaster jar. It must be, this must be the gift she brings. Well, let's play a little game, okay? Remember, I was a youth pastor for a lot of years, so games are safe here. We're just going to jump right into a little bit of trivia. You know how I like trivia. You may be quizzed later on. And I want you to guess, I want you to think as I walk through the message, I'm going to give you several options of what the worthy offering may have been. And, uh, you know, for the one who guesses the real deal, uh, the winner, well, you know, the, you know what the winner gets. They get treasure in heaven, okay? So let's talk about this jar. Let's talk about this jar, which I always imagined, by the way, was like a big vase that she just comes in. It's like, hi And just breaks it like near Jesus' feet without putting ceramic all over him. And it starts to anoint him. No, it was probably something slightly smaller. May have even been a, a type of flask that she could have worn around her neck. And, and this vial, this special long-necked vial that was sealed at the top, they say, and you've heard this before. I bet at least 50% of you have heard this before. That the vial, its contents, this perfumed oil was worth a year's wages. That's what we always say. It was worth a year's wages. Great, Ben, tell me something new. When I hear that that fact, that little historical fact, um, I think, so what? What do we do with that? What does that really mean? Here's what I think it means. What, What does a year's wages tell me about bringing a worthy offering about what all the world says is wrong, because you would never do that. You would never sacrifice in a few moments what took a year to earn. What is she doing? Well, she's sacrificing her whole livelihood. She's saying, here, take my old life of money-making. I exchange it for knowing and experiencing your love, Jesus. This is a proclamational moment. This is a, a 180 churn moment. She's not just exchanging the value of the jar. She's exchanging the source of her living. Do we get that? Do we see what she's doing? Think about it. It must have been a swap. If I take something, if I take something that took me a year to earn and I blast it in a few moments, what am I communicating? I'm communicating that in terms of bringing a worthy gift to God, I'm all in. No looking back. I'm burning the ships. Upon meeting Jesus, you guys, whether you're teenagers in the room, young adults, single, married, uh, senior, whatever your stage of life is, when we meet Jesus, do we bring the same type of powerful offering? Have we done the same? It's beautiful, isn't it, this offering she brings? So maybe that's it. I don't know. Maybe that's the answer of what is the worthy offering that she brings. File that away. There will be a vote later. Let's keep reading, okay? Verse 38. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and anointed them with the perfumed oil. So, quick side note. This is not Mary from Magdalene, okay? She comes later. If you went to chapter 8, you would even get to see that that's a a separate and, and completely different individual. Apparently, though, this was something that women were fond of doing for Jesus, blessing him, honoring him by going to his feet, My question is, though, when I read verse 38, I want to know, this is like so much the centerpiece of what's happening. I want to know why she's so moved. What is it that moves her? Isn't it so compelling? I think that's what's compelling about this woman's story. She's weeping. She's overwhelmed with some kind of emotion, some kind of raw emotion. Is it because of her inadequacy, her past life of sin? 
That's where my mind goes first. I don't know about you, but most of my thoughts are about me. You know, I, I'm pretty me-centered. I spend a lot of my time thinking about me. If I think about losing someone uh, I, in my life, like maybe some of you guys do, you have to have those irrational fears or thoughts. And you think, man, if I lost my wife, where, where would I be? Not, oh my God, the world's lost an incredible human being. It's, what about me, man? You know, I don't know if there's anyone else that resonates. With, no, I'm the only conceited individual. Okay, good. Let's move along. Keep moving here. I wonder what it was that moved her, so moved her. And if, you, if you're looking, especially on your phones or you have a Bible in front of you, we're not going to get there yet. But verse 47, Jesus tells us. So cool, you guys. I was studying this passage like all week. And I'm like, what is it? What is it? What is it? I have to come up with something. No, just keep reading the text and find out what it says. Verse 47, Jesus says, she has been forgiven. She loved so much, past tense. When she came and did this act, Jesus is now, we're going to get there in a second. Now he's preaching to the rest of the audience at dinner because she loved so much. Her tears, her weeping is love for Jesus. Have you ever been so moved? Have you ever been so overflowing with love that it's, that it's just like turned a, a, a geyser out of your face? Okay, it's enough liquid to wash his feet with her hair bursting with explosive weeping tears. Love. In all of this, in the first century, this is a, a tremendous sign of honor. We find out again in a moment that these were neglected for Jesus as he entered the home. But this woman brings such honor, such loving hospitality. Maybe that's the gift. When the world says, Aunt, wrong, buzzer, wrong, backwards. She couldn't be more right to come after Jesus with this type of hospitable love. She couldn't be more right. And the whole world around her, as we're going to find out, things are about to get turnt as we go to verse 39. The whole world is saying, no way. See that Jesus is for all the people all the time. Verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee, Simon, this is, again, not the disciple of Jesus, uh, Simon Peter, Simon, who had invited him, saw this. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, this is a, I have to just talk about this for a second, just pause. There's a a common thing in the original language. Uh, They call it like a contradictory phrase. What it's actually saying, if you read that literally, is if this man were really a prophet, which he isn't, in parentheses, that's what he's saying. In the room, under his breath, or even in his mind, that's what he's saying. So the dishonor just keeps coming. He's neglected all of these things that only the woman offered. And then he's like really slapping Jesus in the face directly, verbally. If this man were a prophet, which he really isn't, he would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. But she's a sinner. Okay, so in a radical turn of events, I actually have compassion for these guys. I have compassion for Simon. Uh, I don't know about you, again, uh, but I find myself in that camp because I'm just so gall-darn judgmental. I don't know. Uh, it's not because I'm perfect or holier than thou, but many times I think maybe that I am, and, and I'm not. I'm not really. And it's probably helpful for us, knowing the demographics. If you're newer to church, praise God for you. I'm glad you're here. Uh, but knowing the demographics of our church, we've been doing this thing for a while, guys. And so maybe we find ourselves in the camp of the Pharisees, and, and yet I think we should walk the journey that they walk, okay, for a second. And just ha- it'll help you have compassion as you think about the, the things that they had to hurdle, the hurdles they had to overcome, and seeing this scene with Jesus and this sinner, this woman, all right? They're so hyper-religious, they're so, so elite, but you would be too if you knew the whole context. And by context, I mean the whole Bible, all right? They had a whole book they had a whole book devoted to the types of people that can gain access to God. It's called Leviticus. 
A whole book about the rites and ceremonies about how close you could get to God and what are the rules and regulations around that. Look at, I have it from Leviticus 22. This is a reference, okay? This is God to Moses. Moses, say to the people, say to them, for the generations to come, if any of your descendants is ceremonially unclean and yet comes near the sacred offerings, the tabernacle, the, temp, the temple, the, the dwelling place of God, that the Israelites consecrate to the Lord, consecrate meaning holy, that person must be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. They're good Jews. They're still trying to keep up this law, this rule. There's even a part of the chapter before or after that talks about how certain priests, whose one job was to occupy that space near God, if they were handicapped or crippled or sickly, they can't come. They can't get anywhere near. You know, someone might lose their heads over here. Why do I go down this road? Okay, why are we talking about Leviticus this morning? Because if there's anyone else in the room who's considering bringing their best to God, bringing a worthy offering to God, and the rest of the world saying, no, you're doing it wrong, and you want to see how to do it right, we actually have to go along the same journey. The journey of viewing the kingdom as a kingdom for a few, a kingdom for a few, and a kingdom for all. This is, this is Jesus' upside-down kingdom. And his new world order which is established in, in Luke 2. You can go back, look at Luke 2. There's a very special moment right there in Luke 2 where Jesus says, I'm that guy. I'm the Messiah, the one you've been looking for. And things are gonna be different. I'm bringing my kingdom with me. I'm ushering this new form of government that has arrived with my presence. That's kingdom, just crash course for kingdom in case that's a kind of a revisited term for you. And in this kingdom, he accepts the kisses of the lowest of low. In fact, he prefers it. Because that type of gift, that type of offering of a woman that, that humiliated and that humbled, that's the gift of someone who cannot save themselves. And Jesus welcomes that type of offering. Okay, so back to our trivia. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's it. Maybe, maybe humility. The world does not go for humility, you guys. In the world's way of discipleship, in the world's way of kingdom, it's power, it, 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 it's subjugation, it's uh, being a dictator, it's a hardcore rule and hardline rule. That's, that's where power and influence comes from. Not the low road of Jesus' feet, his, the muck and the mire. They had a, one leather piece of slat underneath the foot and maybe one strap that went over the top. And we're talking about dirt roads. And she's got her mouth on these feet. You guys, the low road is the road that Jesus would have us go when the whole world is saying, no, wrong, you won't ever get there. You won't get the status. You won't get the achievement. You won't get success. The Jesus way, the upside down kingdom of humility is a powerful offering. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's the big idea. Maybe that's the worthy offering this morning. Well, let's, let's find out. We've got a pretty powerful moment here in verse 40. Back to Luke 7, verse 40. So Jesus answered, Simon, I got something for you, man. Boy, <laughs> do I have something for you. He replied, Simon replied, say it, teacher. Oh, you don't even know. You don't even know what's happening, Simon. Uh, a certain creditor had two debtors. One owed him 500 silver coins and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Jesus turns to parable, turns to story. Parable around debt forgiveness. 
Any, anyone, else, anyone else in the room carrying, carrying debt this morning? You got any debt that you were carrying here, financial debt? Okay, I see five or six hands, but I'm just going to round that up and make it about 98% of the room, okay? About 98% of the room or somewhere thereabouts, we have some debt management that we are in the business of paying down. And I'll tell you, as an example of this, you want to know what the most powerful part of my college graduation was, okay? Uh, it wasn't the accomplishment. A lot of people start college and they don't finish. Okay, I walked across the stage. Well, it wasn't that. Okay, it wasn't that. Um, it wasn't the fact that I was, you know, second in my family to even graduate college. It wasn't that. It wasn't the fact that I got to walk across the stage with my wife. Yeah, that's cool, right? And weird, I get it. Yes, we were one of those weird uh, 20-somethings who get married as a junior in, in college. Uh, it wasn't even that. Sorry, babe. It wasn't even that. Coolest moment came. When the university, which I had heard years prior, I had heard of the university doing this, but finally found out on my year that it was true that the university or financial benefactors or donors, whoever they were, were in the business of selecting a few um, outstanding and upstanding college students to pay their debt, just like that on graduation day. I always heard the myths and the rumblings and thought, even from a distance, from like way far away, I don't know who that kid was. I'm a junior and they're a senior graduating, but that is pretty neat. And this year, it fell on the shoulders of my dear friend, DeCruz. DeCruz is this awesome Indian guy who just, such a buddy. We always connected, took classes together. Can you imagine that for a moment? 80, 100, $120,000 worth of your loans being gone like that on graduation day. Powerful stuff, isn't it? so powerful, so transformative. A lot of us are thinking, no, actually, Ben, I can't think of that. must have been nice for him. But can you see the beauty and wonder of just how much more Christ has done for us in terms of every thought, word, or deed that has fallen short of glorifying God, i.e. sin, not just the cumulative sin of my own life, Ben Appleby, I'll first admit to you that I'm the biggest sinner in the room, but of all humanity up to this point in history who have said yes to Jesus, of course, and have bent the knee and who are serving him and loving him in a relationship with him, all of those human beings, every word, thought, or deed that fell short of glorifying God has been covered in the one-time act of his blood shed on the cross. Can someone please quantify that for me? That's debt forgiveness. That is powerful. And she's experiencing the forgiveness on account of her repentance. So maybe her repentance, certainly a necessary precursor, isn't it? For experiencing life-saving, eternity-shaping salvation. Precursor to that was repentance. That's what the woman's doing. So maybe that's the worthy offering. That's a pretty big one. Someone's ready to argue that today. Hey, we'll find out, okay? Just, you should be picking. Maybe it's humility. Is it humility that's the offering? Maybe it's a loving hospitality through her tears, honoring and anointing Jesus' feet. Maybe it's repentance, a necessary precursor for salvation. That's the worthy offering. Let's keep going. Look at verse 44. Then, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss of greeting, but from the time I entered, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. She has anointed my feet with perfumed oil, an above average type of oil. What's Jesus talking about? He's talking about what I alluded to earlier, that if you walked into a home, certainly of an established uh, Pharisee, 
Pharisee's home, even not, even not some elitist. You'd walk into the home and you'd expect to see some of these things. The dirty feet from a day's journey would be cleaned. They would get an embrace. They would get a kiss, maybe on the forehead or the cheek. And there may be oil burning in, in the room, a fine incense, or there'd be oil placed on their head as they entered. And none of these are awarded to Jesus. So it begs the question, what's Simon doing? The host, what's he thinking about? What's his motive here? Why, why even have Jesus over? If you're going to serve him dinner, but kind of halfway. And, and that's patronizing, isn't it? Patronizing is kind of an insincere, it's kind of, kind, of, kind of does this, right? It's like, bring it, but leave it. You know, I want halfway. Or maybe sarcasm. Uh, condescending. I tried to think so hard about the last time I was patronized, uh, but I couldn't. Maybe you have been patronized recently. I've probably patronized someone recently. I think this is Simon's game. He's not there to catch him in the wrong because Pharisees were very fond of doing that. Maybe I can have Jesus over to my house and he'll say something so extravagant and flamboyant and so wrong that I can catch him and then we can use that later to take him to court. That was a common ploy. I, I don't see him going all in for that move. Is he, going because, is he having Jesus over because maybe he wants to be a follower of Jesus? This is maybe not uncommon for the time. People who left their rabbi, even devout Jews, and, 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 and took up following Jesus. We know he had other disciples outside the 12. But clearly with the amount of dishonor here, I don't think that's it either. I think he's there. He doesn't even know it, but he's patronizing Jesus. Instead of sharing in this woman's passion, Instead of sharing in this woman's passion, he's patronizing Jesus with his insincerity and, and, his, and his condescending manner. He's half-hearted. He's a spectator. He's heard the hubbub of this 30-something rabbi who's churning tables over and being radical, and he just kind of wants, wants to see what the show is about. And it's an act, isn't it? Have you ever thought about how you or I might be patronizing Jesus? Do we ever do that? with a half-hearted sincerity? Do we ever do that? I mean, we all do it. Oh, yes, Jesus, you're there for salvation. And I got that part covered. So that's good. And I can just hold on to that. And then we'll revisit that later when my life is over on earth. You know, that's kind of a halfway offering. Or yes, I pray to Jesus. Every time I get in the car and I'm late to a meeting and I don't want a ticket. Yeah, I'm praying to Jesus. I'm bringing the offering of prayer and I'm spending time with him. Are we patronizing Jesus in these ways or whatever it is uniquely for you? I'll tell you, for me, it's control. It's control, which is really a lack of trust, a lack of faith. I'm such a control freak, guys. When I come to you Sunday, oh my gosh, I might as well be the woman. I might as well be the sinner, the woman. I might as well be right, right there with her. Because when I come to you on Sundays, I've spent Friday and Saturday at home with the kids, and that time with the kids, seven of which we have, if you're newer to the church, my wife and I have seven babies, four biological, three adopted. We love it. They're fun. They're so close in age. They're like buddies. They mostly occupy each other's time. And so I don't have to get involved too much. Okay? That's not true at all. And I do. I get overly involved and I want to control. And I spend my day off, Friday, Saturday, and I'm barking orders and I'm yelling commands and I'm, and I'm, and I'm over-disciplining. Control freak. Bend to my will. Do what I say. Are your ears strapped to your head? And can you hear the stuff that's getting in? Four-year-old, two-year-old, seven-year-old. I don't care how old they are, okay? They all got the same problem. They won't bend to my will. 
I'm a control freak, guys. I'm such a hopeless control freak. And what this message, what this woman, what Jesus' response as she brings these worthy gifts to God, what, what it's spoken to me, Ben, is just exchange that control for love. Her motive is love. Jesus answers that in verse 47. She's forgiven much, so therefore she loved much. She's been following me within earshot. She's been trailing along as I've gone from uh, church to church speaking. And she's figured out. She's figured something out that will be credit to her. Why can't I just exchange? Ben, just get down on a knee, get on their level, look at them in the eyeball, see them as God's beloved, and just love them. Love them into obedience. That's what God the Father does for you and me. He can't, he's not into controlling. He will not coerce you into this relationship. So may we mimic what Jesus does, the Father, what he does in loving people into his will, loving him, people into obedience. May I do that. May I invite him in, not partially, not um, in an insincere way, into the fullness of my heart and my daily plans, not just my sermon prep, not just Sunday morning, but when I turn around on Monday, am I inviting him into my heart? Am I inviting him into my life to take more and more control? You take that control, Jesus. I have a figment of control. It's not the real thing. I mean, that's patronizing, isn't it? It's like, you're welcome here. I believe in you, but I don't believe you'll do what you say you will. Is that landing for anyone else in the room? I believe in you. I know you're the only way to heaven. You're the only ticket for salvation. I believe in what you say, but I, I don't fully believe that you'll do what you say that you will. That's a little bit patronizing. And not just to control the universe and all the big stuff and the moving parts and, and to control destiny, that's great. But what about here and now? To control my job, the church, my marriage, and how my kids turn out. I invite you into those small moments like the woman does. So maybe her passion, maybe her passion is the worthy offering that she brings. She moves from where the Pharisees are, where Simon is, and patronizing from patronizing to passion. Maybe that's the worthy offering. You know, sometimes I just wish that I would look at God like uh, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper look at each other. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you don't. They came out with this movie, A Star is Born. It's only the third time this movie has come out about a rising musical star and, a, and an outgoing musical star. Yeah, he dies. Okay, spoiler alert. He dies. They kill the guy. Sorry, I don't feel bad. Go and watch it. Don't watch it. Don't spend your time, Okay. And they go on the Academy Awards. If you saw the Academy Awards, you didn't see the movie, but you'll know the reference. They got them up there singing and they're canoodling and they must be in love. And then the internet turns ablaze and they're like, both of these people have significant others. What's going on? Are they having an affair? It's an act, people. It's an act, just like a movie. But there's like this, this passion there. It just looks like it's the real deal. I want the real deal like the woman at Jesus' feet. I want that real passion for Jesus every single day. I want to bring that sloppy, wet kiss type of offering to Jesus' feet every day. That's the passion I want in and through my life. So maybe it's the passion that's the offering. Maybe it's her humility and the way she honors Jesus. Maybe it's her loving hospitality. Maybe it's her repentance that's the offering. Do you guys have your vote? Do you know what it is? Okay, good. Lock it in. You can't change. As of right now, you can't change it. Whatever you picked in your head, that's the one, all right? That's actually not fair. Okay, but you should know in your head what the one is. 
The answer is, here we go, let's turn to verse 47. And the answer is, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, are forgiven. Thus she what? Thus she what? Go ahead. She loved much. She came to me in love, in relationship. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? Verse 50. He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So what's the answer of the offering she brought? What is it? Love? Love? Anyone else? Keep going. What? Ding, ding, ding. Second row. The lady in the gray sweater nailed it. Faith. Your, your what has saved you? Verse 50. Your what has saved you? Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The answer is faith. All of those things are wonderful offerings, worthy offerings even, necessary offerings. But the deal sealer is faith. The opposite of control. Faith. Trust that God would make good. That God has chosen Jesus as his son, as his chosen Messiah. Remember our passage from week, week one. You can go to Romans 3 and look it up. Paul says that what is it that makes us right? That gives us right standing before God? In light of our sins, faith. Faith in the blood of Jesus. Faith. From beginning to end in this gospel book, you can look at it. Just look at the rest of chapter 7. There's these awesome examples of faith. Jesus honoring, blessing, receiving, and responding, and inspiring more of what? Faith. Chapter 7 alone, you have the Roman centurion, this beautiful story of faith. Jesus, just say the word. Because I know centurion who's a Roman soldier, an elite commander who has a squad of his own. He meets Jesus, just leagues away from his ailing servant. He says, just say the word from where you are. And I know that my servant will be healed from a distance. Because the same way that I command my army to go, if you say it from there, miles away, it'll be done. What? Jesus says, I haven't seen a faith like this. I haven't seen a faith like this. Yeah, it'll be done. Yeah. I credit to you on faith. Chapter 7 alone, a reference to John the Baptist. Wow, what a prophetic and powerful soldier of faith. The whole world said amen to you. The whole world said, the whole world said to John, you backwards, sign-carrying street prophet, you look weird, you look backwards, you eat backwards, you serve a, a, a king that we haven't even seen yet. What do you think? You live in the wilderness. You are so wrong. And Jesus says, he is so right. There have never been, except for maybe one or two others, like John the Baptist. I assure you, because of his faith to do what God called him to do and go be in his lane and go preach the gospel ahead of Jesus and baptize people in Jesus' name. And then there's this woman, this broken, weeping woman, bringing her offering of what? Faith. I'm going to invite the band up, and as they bring us into more worship, and we prepare for um, communion, which is, there's stations at the front and at the back corners. That's what I want to end with. As we look at bringing God our best, as we look at a worthy offering, these are wonderful things. 
These are wonderful things. The perfumed oil, that is great. And that is honoring to Jesus. The tears, the kisses, the humble posture, that is a way that the world does not know how to operate in. The low road of humility. This is something our world does not know about and we could all use more. It's not the passion. The passion, though, who couldn't use more of that to move us from patronizing to passion? What a worthy offering. What a beautiful gift she brings And not even repentance, though yes, this is a necessary precursor, as I said. Faith, believing that this was God's chosen son and believing that God's words were true and right and trustworthy. This woman teaches us everything, you guys. Her posture teaches us everything about what we need to do as we leave this church today and we go into whatever God has for us on Monday morning. There's one thing that she does that I, that I want to leave ringing in your head as you go think about and pray about how to apply this to your life. And it's this. I would hope and pray that each one of us could let our hair down. Yeah. To let our hair down. Let our hair down a little bit. What the heck are you talking about, Ben? Are we ending with hair fashion? Is that what we're talking about? We're going to end with styles, Ben? Is that what we're going to do? No. You see, this woman, so many things we see from the fact that she lets her hair down. If it weren't enough of the the scorn and shame and disdain that she would have brought upon herself by walking into that space with the most hyper-religious spiritual elite, she has her hair down. Mortifying. In the first century, in that culture, mortifying. Women didn't do that. They wouldn't do that. It was not the cultural norm. The culture said, wrong she uses it as a tool to wash and bless and honor Jesus' feet. Here's a couple things that happen that I want to challenge you with as you let your hair down this week. To remember that you can give up control. You can give up control. Only 50% of the room, only the women in the room get this. But when you have your hair up tight, you know, it's up in a bun or it's in a braid and it's all, you know, up there like a knot. Just looking at it, you think, but is it pulling back the skin of your forehead? It's control, right? No, I'm not re- rolling into cultural relevancy here, okay? Just bear with me. It's a symbol, the metaphor for this controlling, constricting thing we try and do in our life. And I don't see that in the woman. The woman says, it's everything. I have everything. I don't care who sees me. And that's the second thing about letting our hair down. She has such a laser focus. Her eyes are so permanently fixed on Jesus. She can't see anything else. Letting her hair down means she's got these cultural blinders on, the world's blinders, what the world is saying, wrong, 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 wrong. And they're yelling and screaming and inundating her with what's wrong and backwards and morally irrelevant. She's got her blinders on. All she can see is the target, and the target is Jesus' feet. And she won't let anyone shame her or condemn her because she stands before the judge of all time. And he says, I bless you. Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. You get to do the same. We get to do the same. She's forgotten everyone else in the room. That's bringing God our best. That's bringing a worthy offering, a worthy life by forsaking her old life, our old life, by forsaking all others socially, our all others socially, being broken and empty before Jesus, believing Jesus for all that he was, faith, she was made worthy by these. 
we have to see that that's the business that God is in. He's in the, he's in the business of churning around our brokenness and our shame and our unworthiness and making it worthy. He is a master at doing this. So what is it for you this morning? What is it that you need to let go of that you never really had hands on to begin with and come to him in faith? What is it that you need to believe? What do you need to believe God for? Still fresh into 2019, who cares? We're fresh to a new month. And this new month, we're about to celebrate Easter. Like Jesus said, we have Lent coming up. We have this 40-day period. What is God calling you to believe him for as we enter this march to Easter? Why is he speaking to you right now that you that we just cannot let go and trust and believe him that he will make good on his word what is that for you right now that's my prayer as we go into communion you're welcome at any time to come take it let's pray Jesus I just thank you Lord oh my goodness I thank you for this woman oh Jesus I, I, I can be in the comfort I can be I can be in good company when I admit and acknowledge that I am chief among sinners but not to live there, not to stay there, not not to boast in my sin, but to boast in your righteousness, Lord. To boast in, in your blood that makes me all that I am. The very air I breathe is a gift of grace from you. Thank you, Lord, for faith. Thank you, Lord, for the faith of this woman that despite the whole world screaming that it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong, you're backwards, you're doing it wrong, She got it right. Put us in her company, Jesus. That same blessing that Jesus gives her, go in peace, means go in flourishing. It means take up a new life, the life you had before, limping and broken and backwards and death and destruction, working on the street. That was not peaceful. That was not flourishing. So Jesus, for for every one of us in the room, may may we receive that blessing. I pray over my people. (laughs) our people right now sitting here, that they would receive that blessing, that they could go in peace. The areas of their life that are limping or broken or not whole, may they bring them to you right now as an offering and may you turn those into faith. God, build our faith this morning as we praise in Jesus' name. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.